At about 10 p.m. Eastern on Friday night, Rob Kehoe, the director of college programs for United Soccer Coaches and a member of the Intercollegiate Coach Association Coalition, put out an email to all the Division I coaches, which likely alleviated at least some fears of programs being shut down and probably saving a lot of jobs in the process. Rob is here to share some of the details. Uh, this involves the NCAA Council, the group of five conference commissioners who submitted a waiver over budget concerns, and then they were joined by 22 other conference commissioners. That made it 27 out of 32. Part of the waiver asked for relief of a mandate that you had to field 16 teams in order to maintain Division I status. That request would give schools carte blanche to eliminate programs, and men's soccer was probably prominent on that list. So we've been dealing with the impact of coronavirus. Then you had the DA ceasing operations, and now this. Rob, welcome. I, uh, I wasn't overstating that jobs are going to be saved by this decision, was I? I don't think so, Glenn. I think, uh, I mean, the concern was not certainly just for men's soccer uh, or women's soccer, for that matter. The opportunity uh, or the challenge ahead was if the minimum requirements for sports sponsorship uh, were not were waived, then uh, that would give schools an opportunity to reduce the number of sports that they would sponsor, and that could be any sports. Uh, and certainly, some of the most likely suspects would be on the men's side. Uh, but we know very well over the last number of years, men's and women's programs in a variety of sports have been dropped. So this is something that's been important for all what we would call the Olympic or non-revenue sports. And so yesterday's decision uh, was really a favorable decision uh, in terms of trying to keep the conversation going as to how we can best uh, address the challenges that we're facing with not only the ones that already existed in terms of um, the cost of hosting and supporting intercollegiate athletics, as well as college in general with the environment of declining enrollment. But then with COVID-19, it's added an immense amount of challenges and people are just trying to find remedies as to continue to sustain and support higher education as well as intercollegiate athletics. Right. Well, this, this is really quite a story uh, as far as this waiver of, is concerned. So where does it start? And then we have Save College Sports, a petition that was put out. We have this committee, the ICAC, and then the NCAA Council, and these conference commissioners who were nearly unanimous in their support of this. So let's tell the story a bit. Well, uh, as you know, the group of five conferences, and those conferences are the Sun Belt, the Mountain West Conference, the Mid-American Conference, the American Athletic Conference, and the Conference USA. And they're all football-playing conferences, and they're the group of five that would be the tier uh, next to, or what m many would consider below the autonomy five, which are also called the Power Five, which are the Big Ten, the ACC, the Pac-12, the SEC, and the Big 12. And in with football, trying to compete in football, 
the assumption is the group of five is was trying to uh, get this relief waiver because in addition to sports sponsorship uh, requirements, there are other requirements in there relative to minimum number of games that <clears throat> a Division I uh, program would play, uh, minimum level of attendance for sports contests, as well as scholarship issues. And so the group of five uh, asked for a relief waiver from the uh, the division one membership requirements for this time, which included, and this is what set the, the alarm off for our group, the intercollegiate coach association association coalition of the potential for the sports sponsorship minimum to be reduced or waived. And so that's started it, but then the uh, group of 22 conferences, uh, joined on with the relief waiver request, making it, as you said, 27 out of 32 conferences that petitioned for this waiver. Now, uh, Rob, only... is this a, this waiver, so this is, a, it, it's an emergency waiver, as like this is not the normal course of, uh, of, of compliance or guidance, right? The, uh, this is something that uh, I suppose obviously is allowable to, to submit, but uh, is that the way it's referred to, sort of an emergency filing? Yes, yes, yes. And, and you may have noted uh, even prior to this uh, where, for instance, when they uh, canceled spring sports and then quickly uh, allowed for another year of eligibility right. for, say, baseball players or softball players, so that would be in the category of a waiver uh, that was granted in this uh, situation to basically uh, give that relief from what would be an NCAA bylaw. And, right. and so this would be in the same category. And so the, the petition for the waiver went to the Division I Council that met this week, and the Division I Council at the NCAA is made up of conference administrators and uh, athletic department administrators at schools, and it's a representation of all the conferences in the country. And then there are other standing committees there uh, that would uh, fill in information or provide information on recommendations to that council, one called the Competition Oversight Committee that oversees championships, Student Athlete Experience Committee, uh, that deals with a lot of legislative activities such as recruiting or amateurism eligibility. And then you would have the competitive safeguards, medical aspects of sports committee also, which relates to the health and safety, all of those things. So those committees, you know, provide information to the council and then the council is the voting uh, entity in the NCAA. So, if, so right. Yeah. I, I want to make one thing clear, though, before we continue. So, uh, you know, differentiating the Power Five and this group of five and then these, uh, uh, which is the FBS, and then the non-FBS conferences, which is the 22 that you mentioned that went and joined the, the group of five. But their mandate, uh, we're talking about this mandate of how many Division One programs you need to have in order to maintain your Division One status. Their mandate is 14, correct? It's not 16? Correct. 
Okay, Correct. so so that's a little bit different. And then the other question I had, Rob, uh, before you go on, is if this waiver had passed in its form where it, it did uh, eliminate the mandate uh, to retain Division One status or reduced it, would that have affected the Power Five schools too, or not? Uh, yes. Yeah, okay. Because it's 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 Division One membership. All right. Yeah. Because but they weren't involved at all in any part of this waiver. But to the extent uh, that they were involved in the conversation, I don't know. Okay. Uh, but but we do know that the twenty seven uh, that you stated were the ones that submitted the petition for the w- waiver. All right. Uh, Rob Kehoe, our guest, the director of college programs, he is the liaison. Uh, he's the guru. He's the liaison between uh, Division One coaches. Uh, on the soccer side and the NCAA, uh, you put out um, uh, an email to the membership not long ago, and it was, uh, you know, it was uh, at a moment uh, after this uh, waiver request where uh, there were major concerns. Uh, you're the one who used the uh, language carte blanche opportunity to cut sports, but you developed uh, SaveCollegeSports.com with a petition. Do you, do you have any idea how many people signed that petition? Uh, over 52,000 as of, as of our conversation right now, I just checked it a little bit ago is it was, uh, or right at 52 or right over 52,000 presently. And then in addition, the intercollegiate coach association coalition, ICAC, which uh, you and Lynn Burling manual represent for United soccer coaches, but uh, it's volleyballs, uh, wrestling, gymnastics, men's lacrosse, baseball, uh, the non revenue sports involved. You submitted a, uh, uh, this, uh, or, or they, the group submitted, uh, a, a letter, uh, to the NCAA council, uh, you know, firmly against especially that, uh, particular mandate to, uh, to lessen the requirement to attain Division One status. So uh, my question to you, Rob, and uh, this is subjective, but uh, is, is this an example of voices will be heard? Do you think the council was uh, was influenced by all these uh, outside uh, influences? Well, I know that we were heard. Um, and again, to the extent that um, any of our communication influence the direction and then the decisions uh within the council uh is unknown but i mean we have very good relationships with people on the council uh as well as ncaa staff that facilitate communication and help guide the conversations um within the ncaa and in the divisions and the committees and so we have had ongoing uh, communication with them prior to the council meetings, as well as during the council meetings. And, uh, and so we know that they uh, have been very good. And for instance, you mentioned the liaison word, you know, the liaison uh, relationship that, that we have, or, or in my situation that I have with people in the NCAA to be able to share information either on behalf of our sport soccer or broadly in this situation, the non-revenue or Olympic sports through our uh, coalition, our intercollegiate coach association coalition, you know, they do very well in terms of making sure the information gets to the, uh, the committees and the council for consideration and review. And as you know, from the, from the website, 
uh, that, you know, we sent letters directly to uh, the Division One Council, uh, and they were to each member of the council individually. Uh, we sent letters directly to President Mark Emmert, uh, the chair of that committee, the president of the University of Kentucky. And then we copied every conference commissioner in the United States for Division One on these letters. And again, they were directly directed specifically to their email accounts so that uh, they got the message. And we certainly uh, indicated in our communication, as you know, or for anybody reading the information on our website, that our request was give us an opportunity to talk about these things, to be a part of solutions and remedies, producing remedies to deal with the issues that we're facing rather than eliminate educational opportunities that are granted through intercollegiate athletics. Yeah, because Rob, the, so, I mean, the one thing you know, the one thing we all uh, admit here is that uh, it's it's a bit of a crisis on the collegiate scene now. You know, in, in terms of budgets, and so to if you're an administrator and you're taking a close look at your athletic department. Uh, it's not beyond beyond the realm of possibility that you'd look and say, well, you know, there have to be sacrifices made here. But your intent was to say, okay, if we can do smaller things across the board, maybe we can save as much money. So they're like a, a creative outlet. Like were, were there any suggestions, particular suggestions made, or it was just hoping to have the opportunity to sit down and uh, like well, what, what would some of the things be uh, – uh, in your mind, that could be done rather than slashing a program? Well, I mean, I think this, is, this has been a time that is putting us all in a position to evaluate um, where we may have excesses in our life. And when we look at intercollegiate athletics and higher education uh, even more broadly, is where can we look to begin to trim and it's all of us. It's not just some of us. And looking at intercollegiate athletic budgets, and one of the things that, I mean, as you know, Glenn, you've been on college campuses for decades, as have I. And one of the things that rings in my mind and in my ear relative to college campuses is the sound of construction trucks backing up. <laughs> yeah. Where no no question. An, no question. There's endless amount of building and we're always adding. And if we look at intercollegiate athletics and look at the facilities that we know, for instance, from soccer, where we have international teams coming over here to play friendlies or in the tournaments in the summer in preparation for their full uh, league seasons they come and they train on college campuses and they're the envy of the world. Um, and so we look at those things and we start asking, you know, how much food do we throw away on college campuses that are presented to athletes these days that is excess and how, you know, how much more value is there to await say a barbell or a dumbbell that weighs 40 pounds compared to one that weighs 40 pounds and has is gold plated and has the logo of the school on it and all the 
other things that go along with the perception or the cosmetics that we have related to intercollegiate athletics, which, you know, if, if, if somebody has a product that is appealing, I think in college athletics, and we feel that it's going to give us an advantage, we'll buy it. Well, no, uh, <laughs> and, you always talk, uh, look, we, when I was at Rutgers and, and the other colleges I worked for, I mean, you constantly in recruiting heard the talk about facilities. Well, they've got a facility, they've got this. So you're, you're, uh, you know, what you're saying certainly resonates. Look, I was on the Rutgers campus with Bob Mulcahy, he was the athletic director at the time, and uh, I was his first hire, as it turns out. Uh, but he um, was, um, you know, played a role along with the president of the university in in cutting six sports in one fell swoop in the mid two thousands. And all I can remember, I mean, I, I know how difficult that was on him personally because I saw it. I was in his office to to see his reaction and his emotions about it. Uh, so I can't imagine uh, any athletic director uh, w w wouldn't look at a thousand different things before they would cut a program and people would be out of work, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and we, you know, I, I think there's a significant amount of sympathy and empathy that has to be directed towards higher education officials and intercollegiate athletic officials, because we do have to look at this and, there are some casualties that may be impacted along the way, as is happening everywhere in our society presently. And so what we've been asking is, let's work on this together rather than just do some knee-jerk reaction and start cutting educational opportunities for potential and present student-athletes. And, no, because the, and then, because the importance of team in a in a student athlete's life and how look student athletes if they do well in the classroom and uh, they're on a team and they have to discipline themselves I mean those those people are uh, girls or boys men or women are are very hireable on the workforce we've seen that over the years if you if you have two choices as an employer. Uh, Student number A who got straight A's, but their extracurricular activities were minimal. And student B who maybe had A's and B's, yet they did all these things within the Division I program, which is a very difficult balance. And to be productive and uh, effective and uh, have success at both is, is such a challenge. It's pretty easy who you're going to hire. Well, and, and in addition to that, and as is noted in the letters that we submitted, that's also the population that returns support to their educational institutions beyond the normal student body right? by way of, of being boosters and supporters of programs and supporters of the institutions. And so that's something as we're thinking about not only the sustainability, but the perpetuation of what is uniquely American, which is how we blend academics and athletics and other co-curricular activities into our colleges and universities as an immensely important and valuable experience that translates into a full life of health and 
productivity, and it's often directed back to the university that helped to foster those developments in a person. So this is something that's a big part of this package is let's not cut that part out of it and then isolate a few sports. For instance, I mean, basketball and football, and then the number of women's sports that can be sponsored in order to meet Title IX requirements. And then let's make sh- then let's get rid of the rest of them because they're unnecessary or right. they're too expensive. That's that's not the uh, the formula that, that we think is the most important or valuable or successful for the future of higher education. No, that's you're talking about men's soccer, wrestling, baseball, because we've seen all those kind of programs trimmed, gymnastics, tennis golf and recently and we're with uh, Rob Kehoe director of college programs uh, we are discussing uh, the recent decision by the NCAA council to not accept deny the waiver that would uh, mandate uh, or eliminate the mandate of having at least 16 division one sports in order to maintain your division one status which uh, we figure would cost a lot of jobs so that that waiver denied but uh, recently University of Cincinnati eliminated men's soccer uh, this was before this waiver request, and I read one story which suggested, Rob, that it was a convenient dissolving of that program, knowing that there are massive budget constraints due to COVID-19. So you you met, you know this is part obviously a huge part of the budget dilemma is the coronavirus, and what stood out to me was a quote from Winston Churchill: "Quote never waste a good crisis." Yeah, right, <laughs> right, know? right, and that's. That's been pretty popular, you know, and you bring up a good point, Glenn, on that. And I think this is important for the public to know, uh, because I think the public perception is, and if you think about the NCAA commercial that says there are 450,000 or whatever the number is, student athletes, and most of us go professional in something other than our sport, and I think there's a a perception that associates with that, that those 450,000 student athletes are on full rides. And so when we look at this, that, you know, these are entitled individuals that are on full rides, they're on the gravy train, and it's very, very expensive to sustain this. And it's unnecessary. But this is something that again, from public perception is inaccurate because for the most part, and as you well know, as a women's soccer coach, where you had 14 scholarships for your team and a roster size of around 30, most of your players are not on significant amount of scholarship. So most are paying tuition, room and board consistent with the, the other members of the student body. And as is stated in our letters, is that the revenue brought in by the non-scholarship level student athletes, which is represented in all, almost all of these sports that are represented in our Intercollegiate Coach Association coalition, are not on significant athletic scholarships. So most of them and the revenue going to that is similar to the tuition paying student that is not part of athletics. And so the revenue going into the universities is right around the equivalent of the cost that is 
an expense that goes into maintaining those sports. So they're not a cost drain. But the perception, I think, is, oh, they're so expensive, and therefore we need to get rid of them when, in reality, the revenue going into the universities by the tuition room and board, by the non-scholarship athletes who are on the teams, are helping to pay for their own sports. And uh, a note and, in uh, the ICAC uh, letter uh, to the FBS and uh, sub-FBS conference commissioners stated that student-athletes generated $3.6 billion in tuition and fees to their universities across the country. And uh, that's a, a list of 141,483 students that participated in Olympic sports. And again, that's the non-revenue, that's the non-football, non-men's basketball, non-women's basketball. Rob, one, one other thing I wanted to bring up too, and, and, and this is a, a, a cautionary signal, is that just because this, um, this waiver was denied and therefore universities uh, need to have 16 uh, teams in order to maintain their Division I status, However, there are many universities that have more than the 16. So if you're above the threshold, there are going to be programs there that could be susceptible to being cut, yes? Yes, absolutely. And, and again, what the, what the council uh, stated on this is that, and this is certainly something that is consistent with NCAA policy, is that member institutions have the freedom and the discretion to make their own decisions. Uh, and so, yes, that is a possibility. I mean, you have, you have schools that have in the mid thirties in terms of, of sports that they sponsor. Um, I mean, you bring up Rutgers. I mean, if Rutgers was able to cut uh, six programs at one time, uh, that means they had in excess of 16. So they had a little surplus. We can trim here. Boom. They're gone. And so, so that is uh, that is definitely accurate, Glenn. And and all all schools are going through those exercises right now in terms of how are we going to manage our present situation with consideration for moving forward. All right, and uh, I've got one final question for you, Rob. Uh, the, this this uh, uh, blanket waiver that was trying to be pushed through. Interesting how this was just kind of put in between the uh, in the sheets a little bit and uh, fortunately um, voices were heard and I, I agree with you as you said a little bit earlier that uh, I'm certain that must have had an impact but are there other elements of uh, that waiver which uh, where maybe some concerns should lie what, what uh, because it was just that one portion right that was denied they're still looking at others well I think I think they'll they'll continue to look at all of it uh, but that's certainly the most immediate uh, for us presently, we just want to make sure that, you know, there's part of the, you know, that, that we're all part of the conversation to make sure that, that we have the sports, uh, to sustain, but the other things relate to it. I mean, as far as minimum, uh, competitions, I mean, that's a concern, but if you don't have the sport minimum competition is of no concern at all. Um, and, and the same thing with scholarships. So the first thing has to be, to maintain the sports and then the others. I mean, the, 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 the number of, um, you know, the attendance figure minimum for 
the uh, the requirement, you know, that relates to football. And so with that, you know, that's that's something it's a football issue. But, you know, it's interesting, Glenn, you know, as this moves down the track, you know, as you can see, and you've, you've been a part of, uh, you know, receiving my communication uh, over the, the course of these weeks on this and, and watching the intensification of that over the last couple of days, no sooner did I learn about the decision uh, from the council yesterday, I got a call from a, an associate athletic director from one of our primary, what I would call ESPN schools yesterday afternoon. And in the call, the person was asking me about our coach association coalition, uh, getting involved in the name image and likeness issue. (laughs) (laughs) And, And I mean, it's, it was like, you know, out of the fire into the frying pan or out of the fire frying pan into the fire, whatever that statement goes, because this just goes on and on because, you know, we're talking about this aspect of it. And, you know, he had sent me a draft of, of something that's going on with this movement of this, this massive group that is trying to address the concerns that would relate to this name, image and likeness issue, which as you know, I mean, as a coach, you know, if you have a sport, that's one thing. But if you're recruiting and you're dealing with a family and a, a prospective student athlete, and now the questions you have to answer is, where do I get a better deal from your school for the potential of getting endorsements and cashing in on name, image, lightness compared to what, you know, my Big Ten oh. colleagues are offering it. We can't do it. So, I, I can't. I, I, I can't. I can't take in all this information, Rob. It's too much. <laughs> it, it's amazing. I mean, and again, I, as 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 I'm just getting adrift, and it hadn't been confirmed. I hadn't seen anything publicly confirmed. Yeah, yeah. But you know, just some intel that I had received saying that the council is 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 not uh, going to. Uh, accept or approve this waiver <laughs> and right, yeah. i just actually left my computer i went over and sat in a chair that was uh <laughs> and i'm looking out the window from my from the back of my house over the the river and my the fields behind my house and just just taking a breath and well, i get this call i think the, uh, and i'm thinking yeah we're just starting we're yeah. just starting well i think the art of meditation uh, could be critical during this time rob so look uh 7 30 p.m on friday the ncaa put out their announcement 10 p.m rob kehoe alerted the uh division one group and then this morning i woke up and saw this and said i gotta get to rob and thank you so much for uh breaking it all down so there you have it the waiver that would have cost programs and jobs denied by the NCAA Council. Rob Kehoe, thank you so much. Thank you, Glenn. Always good to talk to you. Take care. You're quite welcome, Rob Kehoe, Director of College Programs for United Soccer Coaches. This is Glenn Crooks on Frame.